0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the program, we're going to talk about the idea of fake news. It's something, a phrase that we hear a lot these days. It means a lot of different things, actually, to a lot of different people. We're going to talk about what social media sites like Facebook and Google are supposed to be doing or maybe might start doing to deal with fake news, but we're also gonna talk about consumers. What should those of us who are trying to figure out the world around us through media be doing to inure ourselves against the idea of fake news, not be taken in by things that aren't true? Lee Wilkins, who's the professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University who joins us frequently to talk about media issues will be here along with Erica Hobbs, who's part of the News Literacy Project, teaching young people how to consume news in a way that protects them against fake news. And we're going to want to hear from you, especially Uh, when you go around to sites and try to figure out what's going on. What's the guide you use? What kinds of tools do you employ to not be taken in by the idea of fake news? What do you think of the assignment of the term fake news to things by the president and the people around him, for instance. Is this uh, a legitimate way of describing opposition, or is it just a manipulative uh, indulgence? Uh, And again, so we're going to want to hear from you about how you are dealing with that. That's going to take place at about half past the hour. But up front, last night, a Georgia Democrat who hoped to win a congressional seat outright was sent into a runoff election that will take place In June, Democrats were hoping to ride an anti-Trump wave to take the seat held by Republicans for more than 40 years. Are Democrats going to be able to drum up support for close elections like this in the coming years? Here to help me sort that out and other things going on in Washington with Congress is Representative Debbie Dingell. She is the congresswoman who represents Michigan's 12th District. Debbie, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: It's great to be with
0: you, Steve. Yes. Uh, 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 I, I want to start with this uh, this race in, in Georgia, but I also really want to talk with you about the Trump administration getting closer and closer to that 100 day, uh, the end of that first 100 days, and uh, the relationship with Congress, which I think has unfolded unexpectedly. I think there's there's some, been some real surprises in the way that he is choosing to deal with Congress and choosing not to deal with Congress. Uh, and so I want to get to that in a few minutes. But uh, first, let's talk about what happened last night in Georgia. You and I have had many conversations over the, the years about Democrats and their chances to defeat Republicans in in unexpected circumstances. Uh, you are one of the people who says to me more frequently than i think anybody else uh, that uh, that i was wrong about what would happen in the election in 2016 i was one of the people who didn't think donald trump had a chance for instance in states like michigan you believed all along that he did and turns out you were right uh, so so i'm curious what you make of what we're seeing in georgia uh, we saw an earlier race uh, this week also somewhat closer than it should have been uh, with with a Democrat, still not victorious. Are are we seeing a backlash to the things that the Trump administration is doing that will end up with more Democratic victories in the next few years?
1: I think what you're seeing and witnessing is a complicated landscape across the country. There are people that simply cannot believe that Donald Trump won the election. We wish they had been engaged. earlier than they did. I cannot tell you how many, this scenario has played out time and time again. I probably could tell you 50 different people that have come up to me. First time was on the campus of University of Michigan right after the election at a children's march where a woman said to me, I'm a 63 year old lawyer. I've never been involved in politics in my life, but I can no longer sit on the sidelines and not become involved. What do I do? And there's an urgency, almost a sense of desperation that I heard in December, January, February of people wanting to do something. And what do you do to make a difference? How do you fix the problem? And that's part of the frustration because most of those people live in areas where they have a representative like me who is voting the way that they need me to vote. These last two elections that you're talking about uh, show that People are angry that they want to change. They've both been close, but not close enough. Now, we don't know what will happen in Georgia. He needed over 50% of the vote to not have a runoff. There were multiple candidates in the Georgia race. Uh, The woman that won got 18% versus his 48%. But there were three other candidates that got more than 5%. They got 10% or in that Uh, Category that when you add it up, it can go to fifty percent. You are going to see Democrats from across the country pour money into that race. Right. Uh, We'll have to see what
0: happens. Yeah. Uh, uh, Let's talk specifically about this runoff that will now take place later this year. The Democrat uh, last night got forty-eight percent of the vote in that in that district in Georgia, which tends to, to to vote Republican. But there are a lot of other Republicans in the race, maybe splitting that vote. What do Democrats have to do to seal the deal, uh, to, 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 to make that kind of statement? I mean, I, I, I think if that happens, it sends a pretty important message to the president. It would send a pretty important message to other Republicans about what might be coming in uh, the next year.
1: So let's be really clear. This is a very strongly Republican district. And Republicans and Democrats are going to both use everything in their tool chest to try to win this seat. So it's going to be a combination. Unfortunately, money still matters in politics. So money will matter to some extent here. At some point, there may not be enough money for either side. I mean, it can only do so much at some point. Uh, two, they need volunteers. You will see armies of people on the ground going door to door, making phone calls. And three, messaging. Yeah. And what's the difference between the two? And how do people appeal? And we saw President Trump engage yesterday with his Twitters. I will suspect that President Trump will become very engaged in this election before June. Yeah. You
0: know, the connection between the Democratic Party and voters, not just in this Georgia district, but here in Michigan, for instance, uh, in in other uh, closely held parts of the country is something that you and I have talked about uh, a lot. and And the struggles that Democrats have had, not just connecting their message to voters but i think defining that message and and making it sort of align with what voters want in in the first place i mean uh, th- this this frustration over the economy this frustration over opportunity this frustration over economic inequality uh, what is the democratic message uh, about what to do about those things i think that was one of the things that wasn't terribly well-defined during the presidential contest. It was one of the problems that Hillary Clinton had with voters here in Michigan. What is what is the message now about here's how we can do this and how we can do it better than what Donald Trump has said uh, that he wants to do?
1: So I think this kind of candidate, Jonathan, needs to not uh, identify himself with the Democratic Party in the way that you're—he is a Democrat— But he needs to be the Democrat that that district needs. I think it's one of the reasons that I, early on, identified that Michigan was more competitive than people realized. People are worried about their jobs. They're worried about the future of manufacturing in this country. They're worried about their future. Since 2008, people across this country have an economic unease that's in their hearts and souls. That, I think, Donald Trump understood. I think the Democratic Party didn't understand. I actually think the Democratic Party does a better job of watching out for working men and women than the party of billionaires does. But they talk about it better or understand that anxiety better than Democrats do. And we've got to learn how to show people we care about everybody and we really are fighting for them.
0: Yeah. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Representative Debbie Dingell. Congresswoman who represents Michigan's 12th district here in Southeast Michigan. We are talking about the race last night in a Georgia congressional seat in which a Democrat came pretty close to getting a majority of the votes. There's going to be a runoff in June, and we'll see whether Democrats can take that seat for the first time in more than 40 years. We're going to talk. In a little bit about the Trump administration, the first hundred days of the Trump administration, and the relationship between the president and Congress, which I think has unfolded a little differently than we expected that it would. I'm eager to get the Congresswoman's thoughts on that. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. If you have a question for the Congresswoman, you want to talk about that race in Georgia, you want to talk about the Trump administration's first 100 days, your reaction to it, uh, give us a call. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, Debbie, uh, let's talk about what this first 100 days has looked like. We had uh, an interview yesterday with uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, uh, one of the the most prominent and certainly most learned presidential historians uh, that we have. And, and she said uh, right off the bat that she had never really seen anything quite like this, that, uh, that the erratic nature of this administration surprises her, uh, the, the inability to sort of get its footing and, and really push an agenda through, which you have the most opportunity to do, I think, in that first 100 days, uh, hasn't been there. I'm curious, you're, you're more of an insider here in the sense that you're a member of Congress. How has it looked from, from your chair?
1: You know, one of the difficulties is that you, there's no such thing. The erraticness is a very good word to use. You, there's no stability. There is no, I mean, let's talk about health care and tax reform. Uh, what the administration and the Congress are going to do on health care reform, I mean, I'm very glad that we, they were not able to get the votes for an Affordable Care Act to repeal bill that would have ripped health insurance away from 24 million Americans. So he will quickly say, I'm done. We're not going back to it again. Yet within a day, you're back to it. We're moving tax reform. Last week, we're not moving tax reform until we get to health care. It's very difficult to even understand what his domestic agenda is. What I am most concerned about right now is what's happening in the global world. Yeah. Not only am I concerned about what we've seen in Syria, but North Korea is literally a ticking bomb. and uh, I think the world is looking, and this is not something that we can be fickle or just dropping sort of a Twitter here or there on what mood we're in. This is world safety, peace, and I, I am very concerned about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, what are some of the things that he has done or talked about doing that you see as opportunities? as a member of Congress to actually sort of make policy that will make life better for Americans. I mean, you know, I I know that, uh, you know, you oppose most of what the the president stood for in the campaign. But as a member of Congress, you know, your job is also to to help move the country forward. Have you heard anything or seen anything in the last uh, few months that says, all right. Well, here's here's a window of opportunity we might crawl through together.
1: Well, I actually think that there's some things that present an opportunity, but I want to make one point that I think the difficulty is that whenever he says things, you're not sure that you can be. He's committed to them because I can document. I have it all. When he said he wanted to make sure that every American had access to affordable quality. Uh, health care. I mean, he was saying what we said. He wanted to make sure with, that people with pre-existing conditions w- wouldn't be penalized or lose their insurance when in reality, that's not what was happening. Right. So that's his, unfortunately, we never quite know what his words mean and what the reality will be of what he says. I do believe that infrastructure is an opportunity for both creating jobs in this country and fixing very broken roads, bridges, and not only those, but we need to agree on what infrastructure is. And Flint is the national example of pipes that need to be fixed or even when we're talking about pipelines when we're carrying oil under the Straits of Mackinac. Yeah. So I th- and you know the grapevine says that he has not brought that up because he believes he can get consensus. He's brought in. The heads of the unions, they've said that they will work with him and that that's something he can reach consensus on. And in an election year, everybody's going to want to do that. So I suspect we will see some kind of action on an infrastructure bill at some point. Trade is another issue that I've been very clear that I would work with him on. I said it the day that we were sworn in, and I continue to say it. I think his definition and my definition of, of that are beginning to split. I do think we need to renegotiate NAFTA. The bill is old and is hurting jobs here. It has shipped jobs overseas, Uh, and we've got real problems. I was extremely disappointed, and this is the problem, when he said he no longer thought China was manipulating their currency. Uh, uh, We do have other countries that are manipulating their currency. We have governments that help support their businesses. I'd like to work with President Trump to protect our workers, but that means that he has to deliver on the promises he made during the election.
0: Yeah, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number to join the conversation. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will work your comments into. The conversation. Uh, let's go to uh, Marsha. Marsha in Pleasant Ridge. Welcome to Detroit today.
2: Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I was calling because yeah, I'm a Democrat and I respect, you know, Congresswoman Dingell and, you know, what the Democrats are doing. But, you know, as Democrats, what we say is we are better off as a society with government doing, taking care of people and stepping in where the private sector doesn't have an interest and i feel like we need to demonstrate that um, with something like solving the student loan problem you know i mean that's something where we caved and let them you know exempt student debt from the bankruptcy laws we have as a as a government charged students terribly high interest when we were giving 0% loans to the government now we have you know this terrible situation where people aren't sure that 10 years of labor in a nonprofit is really going to count for the programs that they're in so, you know, I feel like we should, as Democrats, stand up and say, OK, we're going to solve this problem and take care of something that will make a big difference in a lot of people's lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can the, we do that? Uh, great question. Marsha uh, Debbie, uh, what what would you say in answer to that? Well, we absolutely need to
1: be. I have to, you know, I represent the students at the University of Michigan and I'm meeting and, by the way, was chair of Wayne State's board before I got elected to Congress. Right. I understand what a serious issue this is. You know, one of the frustrations is that we've got to build the coalition of people to support doing that. One, Democrats have to not be afraid to start articulating what we stand for. That was a real problem. You know, the Republican Party has its far right We uh, and is divided among people. We shouldn't be divided. We should not. Unfortunately, we were divided on trade. I think that we're all in agreement on the student loan issue, that it's a real crisis and our young people shouldn't be graduating with staggering debt. That's It's really impacting whether they get married, can buy a house, and will have children. <laughs> so I, I think that we are trying to develop a message for two eighteen that student loans is one of the pieces of that that I think that you will see, and we've got to be united in pushing for it and get Republicans who are running for office in two eighteen to go on record and get them to understand this is an issue that's impacting people every single day and try to build a coalition that actually wins.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marsha, thanks very much uh, for the call. Thanks very much for the comments. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number to join the conversation. Let's go to Glenn in Detroit. Hi.
2: Hey, Glenn. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, Representative Dingle, I really like what you said a few minutes ago. Uh, something I've been thinking about, about what Trump said originally about health care, that he was going to make it better, cheaper, everybody, everybody was going to be covered. Um, my question is, do you think this is an opportunity for the Democrats in the House to come together to put a bill together uh, that would improve uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, to do the kind of things that Trump was talking
0: about—that's uh, that, a great question, uh, uh, Glenn. Uh, so when when the bill that the president tried to put together failed because of the Freedom Caucus in the GOP said they wouldn't go along, one of the things he sort of opened the door to, I think, in a in a in a nasty kind of way, but but uh, nonetheless presented an opportunity was that the idea that that Democrats could could come up with a solution, work with him and moderate Republicans to come up with something that uh, that could actually pass. Then, of course, he's dispatched um, uh, Vice President Mike Pence to go try to uh, to get the Freedom caucus back back on board. Uh, has he made similar gestures to Democrats to say, hey, let's work together on this
1: he He has not come to Democrats at this point. He has said that he might. You know, this is the strategy and tactics right now are very important. Nancy Pelosi worked very hard to keep every Democrat together uh, in not supporting any amendments to stand strong uh, and I have to give her credit for this because Republicans were trying to... There are things that need to be fixed in the Affordable Care Act. I want to be really clear about that. The bill is not perfect. Uh, There are people right now that that are being penalized and have increased premiums and higher deductibles, and we need to do something about them. They're caught. Uh, in between on something that has a fix to it if we do it. We need to get rid of the Cadillac tax, which quite frankly, if you live in Michigan, you are probably disproportionately impacted by because we've had unions here and better health care than most Americans have for years. And unfortunately, because of that, get penalized by this uh, Cadillac tax. Small businesses uh, uh, have been hurt. So we need to work together to fix what needs to be tweaked. Unfortunately, the way that President Trump initially talked about it and the way that he does now is that we would have that he would repeal the bill. So things like Healthy Michigan, even things like there are people that say they want to make sure that people with pre-existing conditions don't lose their insurance or aren't hurt. But the devil's in the details. And the way that the bill is written is it would, if you ever fall off the insurance, which many people do, especially people with preexisting conditions, you would not be able to get back on that insurance plan. They would have skyrocketing premium costs that many people wouldn't be able to afford it. So the facts are there. We all are prepared, have talked about what we need to do and have said when we stop talking about repealing and hurting people and want to talk about fixing it I think Democrats are prepared to go to the table and to fix it. And I was Googling Nancy last night for something else and see that she has even said that again over the break. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Great question. Thanks very much for the call. Uh, Let's go to Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, welcome to Detroit today.
3: Hi, Debbie. Um, I've got a question for you on campaign finance reform. It seems like a lot of the decisions in Washington these days Seem to be heavily influenced by money. How do we get the money out of Washington? And if the Democrats elect to adopt this idea, I think that they would dominate Washington for years to come.
0: Great question, Daniel. Thank you for that.
1: I actually would say to you, Daniel, you're absolutely right. But we've been, everybody's talking about the need to get money. Not everybody. Democrats have talked long. Uh, since the Citizens United case, it was the Supreme Court that ruled that this money is allowed into the process without accountability, transparency, etc. And we've been trying to bring up legislation in the Congress to get it passed and cannot build the majority to try to get anything through. I think the people have to speak out. We need a constitutional amendment that ultimately may be the only way to get this Change to overturn Citizens United. But until we do, the amount of money in the political process is disgusting. It needs to be addressed and it is allowing people to buy elections. And we've got to fight back and do something about it. And we've, we can't give up. It's frustrating that we can't win, but we can't give up. And hopefully, enough people like you across the country in 50 states are going to rise up and say, we want to do something about it and demand that their states put a constitutional amendment
0: on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, go to Ken. Ken and Troy. Welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Well, uh, first, I want to say uh, thank you, Congresswoman go for your service. And please pass along our gratitude to John for being the wonderful man that he is. I love um, you for saying that.
0: <laughs> that was very um, nice.
3: <laughs> and and uh, my question is, it was in a period, it was in an era very much like this, at the beginning of the Bush administration, when there was a tremendous amount of distrust and and some sort of dysfunctionality in the National Security Council and our and the leadership there, that we were struck last time, and 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 we see with with what's going on with the NSC right now, uh, a similar level of dysfunctionality, and I'm wondering you know, whether, there's a tremendous ability of the NSC and the CIA to gather information right now. But there doesn't seem to be cohesiveness at the top of this situation, and and is there? I mean, I'm I, I'm kind of fearful. I see the same uh, dots connecting that that happened last time, and I'm wondering what the feeling is in Washington among the people who you know are are much closer to this than we are here in Detroit.
0: Huh. Uh, great question, Ken. Uh, go ahead. Well,
1: first of all, I love you for loving John Dingell. <laughs> um, I I would respectfully disagree with you on one issue, which is that there's a lot of similarities. While I think the National Security Council was having issues and there were disagreements and people were um, trying to really understand what the facts were, we didn't know about alternative truths then. Uh, We had adults who loved their country and were stable individuals that were well-intentioned and while they disagreed, knew what they were doing. What scares me now, he's in this last week has been removed, but when you put, I I cannot tell you how stunned I was the night that I learned Steve Bannon had been put on the National Security Council and the president's national security advisor wasn't on the security council. And you, what scares me right now is the people that are there, the lack of knowledge or experience on national security issues the fickleness of words that are expressed, and the lack of stability. And I think that really one of the differences is that while there was confusion and disagreements, you had smart, stable people there in charge. And now I'm I'm hoping that we have people who are calm, stable, and experienced there, and that ultimately we're going to get some of those on the National Security Council, and that their wisdom will emerge as being what drives our foreign policy. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, let's go to John Paul in Harper Woods. Welcome to Detroit. Uh, yes, Paul.
3: so yeah. one of the big problems in Congress is gerrymandered districts. And in Michigan, they're drawn by Republicans to help the Republicans. We have 50-50 between Democrats and Republicans pretty much in the state, yet 64% of our Congressional representatives are Republican. What would we do if Democrats were in control? Would we draw them to make it 64% Democrats in Congress?
1: Well, I'm one of those people that <laughs> says if Democrats get control, we need to go to an independent commission. Uh, I, I am, and by the way, I don't think Democrats should be the people pushing that because then it becomes a partisan proposal. Sure. There yeah, are a number hard of, to make that
0: uh, yeah. seem not uh, not. Not to to one party's advantage or the other.
1: Uh, so I I s- s- seriously believe that you know other states have done it like California. They have a third party uh, a third party person drove the constitutional change, and they have a third party totally independent of politics that drives. And I think that people who are running for office should be accountable to the group of people that are electing them, and that it should really reflect the diversity and geography yeah. uh, of the state. Having said that, you know, human nature is human nature. Uh, but it's I, gotten
0: worse. I mean, if you look at the 2000 map, uh, Republicans were in control then. They drew it to their advantage. And that's to I mean, that's their right. It's not uh, illegal or anything, but but there was still some rationality to the shape of districts, to to the number, the split, the 2010 Redrawing exercise, I feel like was was beyond the pale in terms of the effort to to really marginalize uh, people who were not part of the Republican Party, and that's how we end up with this this weird uh, lopsided uh, nature of the vote, where where most people in the state are voting for Democratic uh, representation, but uh, we have fewer fewer seats in the hands of Democrats than in the hands of Republicans.
1: I I absolutely agree. You know, most of the uh the districts outside of Southeast Michigan, the geography kinds of kind is kind Comes of just driven. Together. You know, the first yeah. districts. Just the fifth keep, district's
0: a little strange too. That
1: it's yeah. strange. That is, uh, D- Dan Kildee's district. The Democratic districts are all very strange, yes. to be perfectly frank, because they tried to make fewer of them, and so they. T- Brenda Lawrence district goes from all of the gross points, parts of Detroit, all the way over to Pontiac. Sure a very complicated district that makes no sense. Yeah. So um, I would like to think that the Democrats would not gerrymander it quite as badly. I know that they certainly, I'm not going to, They human nature being human nature, they would try to draw fairer districts that would probably yeah. create more Democratic seats. You know, in the Senate right now, there are less than—is it ten Democrats out of the thirty-five? Right, ten out of the thirty-five. It's 30. really that is not reflective or representative of the population of the state of Michigan. Yeah.
0: I mean, we can do better. The idea that elected officials choose their constituents rather than having some group of constituents, and you can argue about what that group ought to look like and how to make that group bipartisan or or fair. Uh, but but certainly you could make a better argument that uh, that they ought to be choosing their public officials as opposed to the uh, other way around. All right. Uh, John Paul, thanks very much for that call. And Debbie Dingle, as always, a delight to have you here on Detroit Today. It's great to be with you. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Everyone right. take care. Yes. All right. Up next, we are going to talk about the idea of fake news. How do you discern it from real news on social media? Stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank mm-hmm. you.